0: Thanks so much for joining us today. The Bible reading for this message is taken from Job chapter two, from verse 11, through to chapter three and verse 26. It would be great if you could push pause on this video now and go have a read through that part of the Bible. Also, if you wanna get regular updates from this channel, please push the subscribe button. And if anything that gets said in the course of this video is helpful in your relationship or your journey with God, why don't you push the like button. So that's Job chapter 2 from verse 11 to chapter 3 and verse 26, and we'll see you back here in just a moment. What happens when the voice of your experiences contradicts what you believe to be true? When you survey what is going on in your life and it doesn't match up with your faith, with your trust in God? Job presents us with an extraordinary picture of human suffering, and on the other hand, an extraordinary example of faith in the Lord. As we enter into this next section of Hebrew poetry in Job, we're going to hear what Job has to say, and then what his friends have to say, and then what more of what Job has to say. And as we delve into chapter 3 today, you need to know that what Job has to say is shocking. Most of us are far too stoic in our response to suffering. We pretend that we're not really affected by it, that somehow we have mastered suffering, that when troubles come our way, we have got it all under control and we must just put on a happy face. We believe that somehow we've learned to control our suffering if we can rattle off a few answers, uh, say a couple of platitudes, uh, post a couple of uh, quotes with beautiful pictures on Facebook or Instagram. Only those are not answers at all. Uh, We believe that rising above uh, the suffering is part of the victorious Christian life, and that having faith in God will allow us to do that somehow. We only weep when we really cannot hold it in any longer. And when we do find ourselves weeping, then we feel that somehow we are beaten and undone, that somehow we are weak and that we've been conquered by the pain of the troubles of this life that we have lost. And, of course, no one likes to feel like a loser. As you listen to Job, you will find something very different. Something that is far closer to reality. Reality. Reality is the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to an idealistic or a theoretical idea of them. We need to face reality, and we especially need to face the reality of the world that we live in and the suffering and the trouble that exists as we live in that world, and what it means to have faith and to trust in God. And that's exactly what Job does for us. Through his story, Job deals with the reality of the world, with the reality of suffering in the world, and with his own reality of suffering as he lives in this world, the same world that you and I live in. Job provides us something far truer than what the world tells us. And if we listen carefully and sensitively and remember that it is God himself who says that Job is unique, a man who fears God and who shuns evil, a man who is blameless and upright. If we remember the story of chapter one and two, uh, when Job said, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job chapter 1 and verse 21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We have to remember everything that happens in the middle of the book of Job in light of how it begins and in light of how it ends. In chapter 3, we enter into the crisis with Job. Many of us who are Christians, in fact, all of us who are Christians, I think, know this, that when the crisis comes, when the suffering and the trouble comes, it is an occasion for a crisis of faith. There will be times in your life when the Word of God seems to be saying one thing, but your actual experience of life seems to be telling you something completely different. Suffering is like that. When you have experienced or seen personally some horrid thing, some needless, undeserved, futile, pointless, and hopeless suffering or trouble. And what we need to understand is suffering is not what destroys a person. It is suffering without a purpose that destroys a person. And causes this crisis of faith in God. When experience shouts out, God does not care. Or if he does care, he clearly does not care about you. And that if he does care, and if he does care about you, then he is clearly not in control. He is not a sovereign God. With the voice of experience going round and round in your head, the word of God comes to you and says, God is good. God does care. He is gracious and compassionate. He cares for you and He is in complete control of everything. And so the book of Job takes us right to the very heart of this when experience says one thing and the reality of the truth of God says something that is other than what we know in the moment. So, here, let's go into chapter two. In verse 11, we read that Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, and they came from their own places, and they made an appointment to come and show sympathy and to comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not even recognize him. And they raised their voices, and they wept, and they tore their robes, and they sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was great. There was just silence for seven days. They sat in the garbage dump on the ashes with the burning all around them and an unrecognizable Job with a piece of pottery that was scratching his skin and nothing was said. It's almost a a picture uh, of a funeral. It's as though Job is as good as dead, and they're there for their seven days' time of mourning, and their actions almost seem to, to go along with that. And at the end of the seven days, after this, then Job, not his friends, Job opened his mouth, and he cursed the day of his birth. Job was a man who knew God, and who trusted in God, and who expressed that trust in God, but his experience brought the most profound and powerful challenge to his faith. The thing that I have come to love about the book of Job is that it does not allow for any glib answers. There are no trite or pious cliches, because none of those will do. They won't help Uh, Those who have been in the dark valley, the the valley of the shadow of death, know that they won't help you. That if anything, they only uh, stoke the flame of the crisis. And the book of Job doesn't pretend that they will help, not for a moment. What we hear in this book is this man Job grappling with his experience and with all the feelings and all of the emotions that go with that and with his faith in God. And so we hear of the lessons that he learns along the way, and how he comes to the point of coming to grips with an understanding his, and his relationship with God making sense, even though almost all of his questions go completely unanswered. So, listen to Job. As he curses the day of his birth, may the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness, may God above it not care about it, may no light shine on it, may gloom and utter darkness claim it once more, may a cloud settle over it, may blackness overwhelm it, that night may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered into any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. How do you react to those words? Have you ever sat with someone who is just suffering in the most terrible way? Have you been courageous enough to come in and sit with them and listen to them speak something like this? That's right, had you been courageous enough to sit across from someone and listen to them speak something like this? I wish that I had never been born. I wish that my birthday was blotted out of the calendar forever. I wish uh, that no shout of joy, verse 7, had ever been heard on the night that I was conceived. It's important that as we listen to Job, we hold this intention of what we know about him uh, to be a, a man of faith, a man who trusts God. You know, Job is remembered in the Bible for his faith in God. He's remembered in Ezekiel 14, verse 14, as an example of righteousness. He's remembered in James chapter 5 and verse 11 for his perseverance of faith and trust in God. And in some real sense, Job here is being sifted. But Job does not know that. The Satan is out to prove that Job's faith in God is nothing more than self-interest. He's out to prove that Job's faith is just for what he can get from God. And if Job is not getting anything from God, then he will curse God and all the trouble that has flowed from the Satan's desire to prove his point, and that God has granted in these terrible permissions for all of these things to take place. God believes, God backs Job. God is certain that there is such a thing as faith that is not self-serving. But Job, he doesn't know any of this. We're not wishing that Job had never been born, but we are left wondering if the Satan has finally proved his point in Job chapter 3. The answer is that no, he has not. Because Job does not curse God. He curses the day of his birth, but that's not the same thing as cursing God. As we hear Job, we hear something of the effects, of the enormous effect of the suffering and the troubles. It's the word that just used over and over, the troubles, the troubles that have come upon him. And we hear just how wretched his existence has become. This is his experience. What happens when the voice of your experience contradicts what you believe about God and contradicts your faith in God? Things here are so bad that he wishes that he had not been conceived, that he wishes that he had not been born. You know, birthdays are supposed to be these uh, times of wonderful uh, celebration and excitement. The announcement uh, that a woman is pregnant with child is meant to be an incredibly joyous occasion, for it is an act of creation, and new life is coming into the world. But Job speaks of his birthday as a disaster and wishes that it could be permanently deleted. I've got a birthday coming up this year, and I kind of wish that it could be deleted, but the good news is most of you who are listening to this have already had that birthday. But Job speaks of this birthday in a very different way. It's not just that he cringes, that he's turning a number with a zero at the end of it. He just actually rails and curses the day. The movement is through the reality that he is going in, that, that by the time you get to verse 11, he actually it says, it's not that I had been conceived, not that I had been born, but why couldn't I just have been born dead? Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? Now, if we're going to understand Job's experience and learn from it ourselves, we, we need uh, to not only remember what happened in Job 1 and 2, but we also need to know that Job didn't have the New Testament. He was before Jesus. In the Old Testament, there wasn't the full understanding of the dimension of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection life that that means for all of God's people. So the hope of heaven is an enormous comfort for Christian people. Um, It doesn't do away with the pain, doesn't remove the pain or the suffering or the troubles or the agony or the mystery, but it is a comfort. And that was a comfort that Job didn't have. It wasn't yet available to him. So there was no clear understanding in the Old Testament about life after death. So his words are not the same as a Christian today saying that I wish that I was in heaven. He longs for death because he believes that it will bring to an end all of the injustices and all the undeservedness of all that he sees happening to him at the moment. That's why he says in verse 13, For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with the kings and the rulers of the earth. "...who built for themselves places now lying in ruins, with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver? Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from their turmoil." So, you know, there's this loneliness that comes with suffering, but also there's this restlessness. And Job just wants to be at peace. And he views death not as a doorway to another life, not as a doorway to heaven... In actual fact, in this whole thing, he is coming. He's going to get to the conclusion at the end of this chapter that God has forsaken him. So he actually is, uh, is wishing for the nothingness of death. And it's also important to know he's not wishing for death. He's not suicidal in all of this. He's wishing that he was never born, or he's wishing that if he was born, he had been born stillborn. Because there he says, verse 18, captives also enjoy their ease. They're no longer here, the slave driver shouts, the small and the great are there and the slaves are freed from their owners. As limited as his understanding is, he sees something in death. He understands something about death and he regards it as desirable. Death is the great leveler. Uh, In death, all distinctions um, dissolve into nothing. All the distinctions between human beings that bring about much of the sense of injustice in this life, death ends all of those. So what is the difference between any person in death? Absolutely nothing. In the grave, there is no difference at all. And Job sees that truth about death and finding life intolerable as it is right now. Death is more desirable. And so he wishes that he had died at birth. Job finally concludes his speech by asking, why should life be like this? Why should the result of God's good gift of life be that those who have it wish that they did not? Friends, here's the application of all of this. Job remained steadfast in faith, but his steadfastness in faith did not mean that he couldn't speak this way. It did not mean that he couldn't rail against life, that he could not get let rip and curse the day of his birth and wish that he had never existed. True faith in God allows for that honesty and that truthfulness as we express our experience. Listen to these words from verse 20. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave, why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? Job is like, God has hedged me into this life. He won't let me escape this life. I just want to die. It's not that God has hedged me in and protecting me, like the psalmist speaks of, but God has rather hedged me in from this life and there's no escape. For sighing has become my daily food, and my groans pour out of me like water. Again, you know, we we live in a world that tells us about the power of positive thinking, and that we always have to be happy, uh, and we always uh, have to be full of joy, and we always have to... And Job, who is regarded as a man of faith, unique by God's own declaration, says that sighing is his daily food and his groans pour out of him like water and we go that doesn't that doesn't work but actually the bible says that it does job's own description is that he senses a wall a barrier between himself and god and this is the cause of his deepest agony job who has enjoyed god's favor but now it is not just that he has lost his possessions, or his servants, or his family, or his health. It is striking that in the whole chapter, he does not mention any of that loss. In fact, throughout the whole book of Job, he hardly mentions any of that loss at all. And that is not to say that the loss of those things wasn't devastating, of course it was. But what casts Job into deepest despair is that this experience is telling him that he has been cast off by God. So in verse 25, when it says, what I feared has come upon me, what I dreaded has happened to me, the thing that he feared, that he dreaded, was the loss of God's favor, and his experience is telling him that that has happened. And in verse 26, I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil. So Job's saying, I've lost those things, and so obviously God has forsaken me. I am a man undone. So his mood has certainly changed from chapters 1 and chapter 2. But he hasn't cursed God, which is what the Satan predicted would happen. He has cursed the day of his birth. He longs for death. But even in all of this, he still has not forsaken God. But what he does feel is that God has forsaken him. We know that Job is not yet understanding his experience rightly, but he doesn't know that yet. What we have heard is only the beginning of this man's agony. In fact, it's going to get much, much worse. But for now, I think this is enough. We have begun to hear from Job. So as we bring this together, we need to understand that the undeserving do suffer, that we have to be prepared to dismiss cliches and platitudes and call them for what they are, trite and simple and untrue explanations, because it is destructive and cruel when someone comes along and says, there must be some reason for this in their life Uh, something must have happened for this to be taking place. That they did not have enough faith and that was why they had not healed. That they uh, were not able to have a child because they just didn't believe in God enough. That um, That there was something wrong with them. There was nothing wrong with Job. God said as much. So we must not allow that cruel lie that claims to understand what God is doing in his world when we do not understand. Job did not understand what God was doing in his world. We we might have that picture from another reality, another dimension, but even then, we can't fully understand it or explain it away, and so we shouldn't try to. There is suffering in this world, and the reason for it lies in the mighty hand of God. If God has his reasons, they are beyond us, as they were beyond Job. We don't know them. And to pretend to know the reasons is not only to lie, but it is cruel. Undeserved suffering is a reality in this world and in this life, which God has his reasons for, but we simply don't know them. Also, we need to recognize that faith in God is honest. Faith in God is bold enough to speak the truth. It is courageous so that we can say to God what we are actually feeling and tell him what is actually going on. To share with him what we are going through. To say to God, I do trust in you, but this is my experience and I can't bring this together. That's what Job does. It's courageous enough to speak, even in our ignorance, about the pain. Faith in God does not have to pretend. God isn't a God like that. God does not say, if you are going to have faith in me, then you will have to pretend that nothing is hurting. It's not like that. Faith in God can turn to God even in the deepest, darkest troubles of life. Even when you know that God himself has brought you into that dark valley, even there, faith in God does not mean that you have all the answers. Even there, faith in God can survive because of what God is like. And perhaps what you need to hear today is it's okay for you to be in that place, in your journey, in your relationship with God right now. But I also want to say, in that place where you might find yourself alone and restless. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Jesus too was left alone at his darkest moment by his closest friends in the garden of Gethsemane. They fell asleep. When trouble came, they ran. And as he hung on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, he was utterly forsaken as he cried out, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me?" This means that Jesus has so plumbed the depths of human sorrow that he alone can walk with you in your suffering. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word to us today leaves us almost completely speechless may it open our minds and our hearts to a greater relationship with you, to a relationship of openness and honesty. Help us, Lord, to bring all of us, including our emotions and our feelings and our suffering and our troubles, to you, even though we don't understand them and can't explain why we feel the way that we do. Job does that, Lord, and he is a wonderful example to us of a man of faith. Help us to this end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.